When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Kat from Blacktop Mojo, and you're listening to Dave Scott on the Hook Rock. He's calling Rocket. everyone what's happening what's going on it is friday eve thursday night november 4th how's everybody doing today i'm jay scott this is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great family of music related podcast great platform some great podcasts for you to check out. Check them out at PantheonPodcast.com. Follow them on Twitter at Pantheon Pods and check them out on Facebook and search them up, uh, Pantheon Podcast as well. You can follow us on every streaming platform, Amazon, Spotify, Outcast, Cat, CastBox, you name it, Apple, we're on it. We're there for you. Listen to all the old and the new episodes of The Hook Rocks. We just dropped our 300th episode the other day with Carrie Stevens. Great guest, great friend of the show. Uh, Always enjoy having Carrie on. She's such an honest and just a good soul. Uh, We have developed a nice friendship over the past year. Our conversations last longer than the interviews. We, We tend to talk for a few hours after and uh, she's, I consider her a good friend and continued success for her on the Monsters of Rock. It's a perfect fit for her. I'm glad she's doing it. She's got some stuff happening. Check out the interview. She talks all about it. We talk some music news like David Lee Roth. We talk about the upcoming Eric Carr documentary, which she has a hand in producing. So please check that out. Also, listen to some of our latest new music spotlights with... Classless Act, Bourbon House, The Warning, Travis McCready from Bishop Gunn, and many more. We've got more coming up as well. And yeah, we're almost at the end of the year. So it is Christmas shopping time. It's, I think, pumpkin season or pumpkin spice season is over, officially over. So thank God that's gone. But yeah, it's a manufactured season, as I like to call it. But Yeah, we've got a great show for you today. My next guest was born and raised in the northern neighbor of Illinois, about uh, maybe half hour from me, 40 minutes from me, and in a place where I saw a lot of concerts as a kid. And unfortunately, they don't have a lot of gigs there anymore, which is really disappointing because Alpine Valley uh, used to be a great place to hang out all day tailgate in the parking lot in the morning and then go see a rock and roll show at night. And a lot of the time 
I spent watching concerts in my youth was at that place. And that is East Troy, Wisconsin. He's now living in Music City. And I'd like to welcome in the legendary guitar player, Jared James Nichols. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I am doing awesome, man. Excited to talk to you today. Yeah, man. Great to talk with you, too. How are you feeling? How's the arm? You know what? It's great. I'm so lucky, man, because, you know, when when uh, when a guitar player breaks their arm, that's never a good thing. And uh, I was a little nervous there at first, but I'm so thankful that, man, I just screwed up the bone. There's nothing with like the muscles or the ligaments or tendons. So to be honest, man, I'm already playing guitar. I'm feeling great. And they said within about a few weeks, I'll be ready to get back with the band, start rehearsing. So I'm awesome. pumped. Yeah, I was uh, planning on going to see that show with you guys in the and the Georgia Thunderbolts up in Braidwood, Illinois, last Saturday. And got the news, and I was like, oh, man, no way. So looking forward to you guys rescheduling and seeing you guys there at at that place. Absolutely. You know, this is the first time in my life I've ever had to take, like, a a personal, like, cancellation for shows. And I felt so bad. I I actually asked the doctor, I was like, man, can you just sling me up so I can continue to play? And he's like, man, you got to take a break on this. So, yes, we will absolutely reschedule that for um, early spring of this next year, man. And and honestly, I just can't wait to be back already. I know it's only been like legit a week since it happened, but I'm already pumped to get back. Well, that's awesome, man. Glad it wasn't too serious. And hopefully you heal up soon and you're back on the road making great music. Your new EP is fantastic, too. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because of that, because the, the the EP that you released, I think it was last month or I think the uh, last part of September, um, came yeah. out and it was just it was just great. But and we'll get into all that. But I got to ask you the question we always ask first time guests on the Hook Rocks, and that is really what the show is about. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a concert, a band, an album, or song that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, geez. That's honestly, that's an easy one for me because I remember being a kid and hearing Black Sabbath electric funeral. As funny as that is, deep cut off paranoid, right? I remember hearing that song and I heard the guitar part and I started to hum along with it. And I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And that was the first riff when I did get a guitar that I learned how to play by ear. And I would have to say like, that was the hook for me. And it's funny because like that riff, it's, it's only a few notes. But man, it still resonates with me, and it's still I get excited when I hear it today. So I have to say that early Black Sabbath. What did it, where did it go from there? I mean, when did it become? You know, obviously you, that was the first riff that you played on guitar by ear. But what were some other influences for you? Oh man, well, growing up, you know, my my parents they they listened to really awesome stuff, like everything from like you know, Bob Dylan to the Allman Brothers to Elvis to the old school country stuff. So from when I was young, I was, I already loved music. I just never pictured that I was actually going to play, but really what ended up happening. And I got to tell this story because I always say this, I wanted to be a drummer. I wanted to play the drums. And I remember all my friends were getting guitars and I was like, man, everybody plays the guitar. Let me be the drummer. And I ended up my brother's friend He had a drum set and he let me borrow it. I remember my dad came home from work and I was in the basement trying to play the drums. And it was the only time in my life my dad literally said to me, this isn't happening. Like there was no wiggle room. He said, if you want to play music, you can try something else. You can try a bass. You can try an electric guitar, an acoustic guitar. He goes, but I can't come home from work and listen to you pound on the drums. So there that was born. And you know what's funny? When when I picked up the guitar and going back to that Black Sabbath riff, when I played that and I figured that out, it was like a, something inside me got ignited. Like I got really, really excited. It was almost like I was discovering something that I never knew before. Kind of like a kid probably with a video game. It was like, oh my God, I could do this. I can play. And then I just went crazy. You know, I was a big classic rock kid. So I remember listening, and I was in uh, Wisconsin, but I would listen to WKLH. I would even listen to uh, The Drive. I think it was 97.1. I, I'm sure you get that down by you. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I'd be listening to this stuff with my guitar, trying to figure out the riffs of the songs. And, man, once I started playing, I couldn't stop. 
all I wanted to do. Was there was the goal all to be on stage when you when you started playing? I mean, when did that you know, when what you know when did that urge to be up there performing for people? When did that happen? Was that immediate with with you playing? So, so check this out. So actually, I was in my bedroom. Just I never had an idea of ever playing on stage or performing or anything like that. And my mom actually came in and she said, "You know, you should start playing with real musicians." And I said to her. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. I'm 15 years old. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, there's a thing that happens on Sundays at a club near where I grew up. It's called a blues jam. And she took me to this blues jam and I said, I'm not getting on stage because I was so nervous. Well, I ended up getting on stage. Like they got me up there and that would have been about probably about two months after, after I'd started playing the guitar. And I'll tell you what, it was that same feeling again. It was like this immediate, I remember how nervous and scared I was, but at the end of the experience, I was so excited. And then that sparked that whole other side of this where I was like, oh man, I want to be on stage. So then of course, like most, uh, you know, I started doing the battle of the bands and the talent shows and stuff like that through school. And that, you know, playing with real musicians when I was, 15 early on that really sparked that and it was a thrill that I'd never had before and to be honest to this day every single time I hop on stage whether I'm jamming with someone or I have a show with my band or whatever I still get that feeling you get that buzz I get the buzz man and I can't control it it's just so exciting still as far as writing music was there a song that you heard that in you know was interesting enough where you wanted to write lyrics? Oh yeah, for sure. One, one of the things for me, I was always, ever since the beginning, I was trying to just write like riffs. I would hear something, whether it was a song that was popular. Like I remember when um, seven nation army came out, I basically made like a copy version of seven nation army and I made my own lyrics to it. And it was one of those things early on that I knew that it was almost like um, if I could equate it, it was like the yin to the yang. It was like playing guitar was great, but I had this like urge, whether I was, you know, with my friends or just sitting alone in my room, I wanted to like make songs because I always wanted to play the parts of songs. I was never like a, a total shredder guy. It was more like, man, that's a really cool song. So I would try and play the guitar part and sing it. And really that kind of birthed me even stepping in front of a microphone, to be honest, because once the time got where, you know, it was time to play some songs, whether it was, like I said, with for a talent show or at an open mic, it was like, well, I guess I'll sing because, you know, I like both sides of it. Because a lot of players, you know, they'll they'll only be into the one thing. For me, it was the whole package. Because a lot of guys who do play lead very rarely do sing. I mean, you've got a lot of rhythm guitar players, and you know there are some you know lead guitarists that do sing. I mean, I think of guys like Ace Freely, and and you know I'm sure there's others too as well. I just can't think of at the top of my head right now. But you know that's a right. very that's a very unique thing to play lead and sing. I mean, I, obviously Gary Moore did. Um, you know, Eric Clapton, of course, and now I'm starting to remember all the names I was thinking of, but, you know, but, but more or less though, it is a rhythm player who's all, who's always singing and to play lead and, and, and do it how you do it. That's, that's very unique. It doesn't happen all the time. Well, yeah. And you know what, when, when I really started coming to age, I remember when I moved out and I really said, Hey, I'm going to become a musician. I'm going to, I'm going to be a guitarist. I actually moved to California when I was 21 in hopes and dreams from Wisconsin to play music. And I remember when I first got into a room with a bass player and a drummer, I was already so into, I always equate it to like the guitar heroes. And it might sound funny, but like Eric Clapton with cream, Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, Johnny winner, all of these guys, Kenny Wayne Shepard. Well, he didn't really sing much, but all of these guys that kind of had their own band where they were the lead guy and they were the singer that to me really stuck out from dang, from an early age. And that was always kind of the goal. It was like, okay, I'm going to play lead, but I'm also going to sing and I'm also going to write the songs. It was like that, that whole trifecta. Where do you get your inspiration for lyrics? 
oh man, well, it used to be, I would, I would, I would try and just make stuff up that sounded cool or like, I would kind of like just try and be creative. But then honestly, it just started coming from real life experiences. The more I wrote, the more I found myself, you know, trying to get out different emotions through writing. And that was especially, you know, with the new stuff, you know, moving into going from like a, a touring aspect where I was always on the road, always on the road to 2020 when I was at home, just, you know, simply writing songs like the rest of the world, just trying to see what was happening. It was like, I was able to start channeling my emotions through the music. And now when I write, I just totally try and turn my brain off. I totally just try and be in the moment. And whether it's something that I'm going through, whether it's something that I heard about someone going through, whatever it is, I just try and channel it. And I try and be honest. When you are writing and you are writing about personal experience, is that difficult for you to do if it's an uncomfortable situation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, there was a, 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 a few tunes that I wrote last December. I, 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 my dad passed away and I started to write about it. And man, that was the first time in my life. And that's going to be some stuff that's going to come out soon. But it was really, I felt like I was kind of, you know, showing a part of myself that I never had. And it was hard. It was almost hard to sing. Um, it's one thing I always say, too, it's one thing when you're sitting in a room and let's say you write something or you write a guitar riff or you write a, a chorus or whatever it is, and you're there alone. But then it's a whole other thing when people are around you, but you still feel those same emotions you felt in that room. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I've written as of lately, too, that it's just a lot deeper. And I'm trying to, uh, you know, it's like when people uh, speak at a funeral or when they have to speak at certain events, it's like, that's how I feel with some of these songs. They're, they're, they're really that um, emotional and meaningful to me. Is there ever a moment where you got to stop because it's just not the timing doesn't work for something you're writing about. And maybe you come back to it maybe down the road because maybe it's too soon. Maybe it's too uncomfortable. How do you, how do you manage that if that does occur? Yeah, no, that has definitely happened. It's happened on every level with that kind of thing. There's been, um, there's been songs that I've written that, you know, as simple as it's just not lining up yet or like, it's not, like maybe my head isn't there. Like I'm not emotionally or I'm just not physically ready to like play it. Um, there's some stuff that I've written that I've gotten out like emotionally, but I haven't put it into song yet. And sometimes, you know, like most people that write music or that play, you know, you'll, you'll be working on something. And I am telling you, there's some ideas that I have that are like, shoot, now they're like a year old and I'm, still processing them and still trying to get them out and feel the way that I think they need to feel. Cause you know, music as easy as it is to get up there and, and just tear it up and shred it up. Sometimes when you're writing and you're in that kind of headspace, it can take a long time to figure out how to say what you're feeling. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff I'm working on right now, every day that I kind of look at and I'll say, okay, where am I at on this? How does this feel? You know, it's almost like I have to check in. It's it's a it's a really interesting thing, man. Your last full length album, Black Magic, was released in 2018. I absolutely freaking love that album. And <laughs> uh, Nails in the Coffin was a single after that, as was Threw Me to the Wolves. And now you release Shadow Dancer, an EP. And it, like I said to you before we started the conversation, it absolutely jams. It absolutely rocks. What was the thought process going from a full-length album in 2018 to releasing a couple singles to now an EP? Well, the thing was, when we did Black Magic, um, that was uh, one of my best friends, uh, Tony Perry. He's the son of Joe Perry of Aerosmith. We were living basically neighbors to each other. And we started jamming, and he was great in the studio, and... I would have ideas. I'd go by him. We'd record them. And that was like the, the nucleus of black magic. And that, that whole project, it really, really fell out in a, um, a really pure way. Then what ended up happening was I found myself on the road and it wasn't like I was on a tour and then a break and a tour and a break. I was touring. 
I was out for months at a time. So I was out there playing all these songs off Black Magic, um, previous things I'd done. And then it came to the point where all of a sudden, like, I felt like a year went by. And I was like, oh, man, I need to put some more music out. So so what really ended up happening was a few friends of mine, um, uh, Ian Scott and Mark Jackson in Los Angeles, they wanted to write some songs. And we, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's write some songs. And at that point, um, my friend Tony, he moved on to Greener Pastures. He's like a big dude at Spotify now, which is so crazy. And um, I wrote with these, these two guys, and Mark and Ian, and we wrote both of those songs, Nails in the Coffin and Threw Me to the Wolves. And, you know, it was kind of interesting because I recorded Nails in the Coffin with them. And if you listen to that song, it's kind of a, a, a left turn from Black Magic, but I think it's a really cool kind of vibe of a song. Um, and then moving forward, it threw me to the wolves. That song, we ended up putting that out right as 2020 was upon us. We were heading out for our first ever um, headline European tour. And we were so excited. And I'll never forget, man. Literally, we put out Threw Me to the Wolves. I was on the BBC radio playing and singing it and doing interviews and stuff. And three days later, uh, the world shut down. So that was a really kind of a, an interesting way to, to open that song and then have it kind of just exist over the, the COVID period. Um, moving forward though, you know, I was, I never stopped writing. So I was just in that mindset and I had this opportunity with this new label Black Hill out of Nashville. And the first thing that they wanted to do was, um, cut an EP. And I was absolutely for it. I mean, right now I'm sitting on probably, 30 tunes that I've written, you know, every day I write. And, um, it was kind of cool because now with this EP, it's like a nice taste of what's to come and, and kind of where my headspace has been at. And brother, the best part about this EP, besides the vocal, we tracked it live. This is a trio in a room playing these songs. This is the dinner menu for the live show that's about to come. Is that difficult to do to record live? You know, based on other experiences that you've had recording? Oh my goodness. Well, check this out. So not only did we record it live, sorry, brother, we recorded it to tape. So it went from not only live in a room with the band, but we, we, we did it with no overdubs. It was, it was like, you know what? You better get this down and not screw up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, it was a really, really cool thing to do. And it was kind of nervous. You know, it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Well, when you do record something like that, you really do get the room you're in. You feel that vibe that you guys are creating. And not to say that you can't create a vibe recording an album, how it's normally done, but there is something about that live aspect that just captures energy I know when I talked to Charlie Starr earlier this year from Blackberry Smoke, their last album was recorded live. And I've always felt that their guitar live always is front and center. And not, it takes a little bit of a back step on their other studio albums. But this album, man, those guitars are up front and that energy is there. And I, and I love when that happens for an artist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The first thing that I noticed, too, playing live, you react different. You play in a certain way that means so much more in the moment. And, you know, a lot of people, when they record, you know, they'll sit and they'll think about it. And that's awesome. There's, there's a whole other, you know, headspace that goes into that. But when we were in the studio, we were playing loud. We were playing as if we were playing a show. I was, uh, how do I say this? I was flying off the, the seat of my pants, you know, like I was in the room. We were sweating. We were just rocking and it was such a cool experience because all the time when I go into a studio, I would always have this feeling like, okay, Jared, you have to be really serious. Everything has to be so serious. It has to be perfect. And you know what I mean? And I would get in my own head about it and I would go, how am I going to make, you know, organic sounding rock and roll, organic sounding music that I'm, I'm really, you know, in love with, with this version we turned the amps all the way up and we said, Hey, let's just see what happens. Let's just let it flow. And in return, we got what you hear on the CP, which is a really organic sounding band that's playing off each other. 
And it's a really, it's a, it's an old school, but it's, it's a timeless approach if you ask me. Yeah. It's, it's just a way, you know, in a, a way different way of creating music and affects how the fans absorb the music too, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a different energy when you turn on, especially this EP compared to anything else I've recorded. The first thing you'll notice is there's an immediate energy. There's an immediate um, need. It's like, it's like there's a pulse. It's a different pulse and it's, it's exciting. Are there plans to release this physically? It's right now it's just available digitally. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to release it uh, physically. We're plans to do um, vinyl, of course, limited edition, uh, different colored vinyls. There's a ton of different stuff on the table. And, uh, you know, with that in tow, this was a great segue because now this gave me all the wings I needed to cut uh, a full length in this style. I will tell you this limited edition vinyl will be a, a statement on my bankruptcy uh, docket <laughs> because, yes. because it is that. so addicting. Like when someone releases a vinyl limited edition, you know, the color schemes and all that stuff, it's like, ooh, ooh, uh, ooh, that looks interesting. Ooh, I got to get that. I got to order that. And it's like now there's this vinyl shortage and I'm still ordering things and I'm not going to get to like mid 2022. Oh, I know. I know. You know, I'm the same way. I swear. If I go to a show, uh, this has been since I was a kid. I, I mean, I was that kid at Goodwill sifting through vinyls for, you know, 50 cents or a dollar uh, to now when I go to a show, I go, do they have any vinyl? Do they have anything like tour, you know, like a tour limited edition, anything? I will always, I'm a sucker for vinyl. It's crazy. Discogs is going to be the end of me. It will be <laughs> the absolute end of me. I mean, I go on there and then like two hours later, I'm like, Oh my God, how long have I been on here? How much money have I spent? I'm like, how oh. do I block this site from me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so funny, man. It's so good. So we talked earlier too about your move to Nashville. You, you know, you're born and raised in Wisconsin. You made the move out to LA trying to do what every rock musician does in the, you know, musician does in the Midwest, go to California because that's where you got to go. And then everybody goes, oh, well, let's go to Nashville because that's where Music City is. What was that journey like for you? Oh, it was crazy. Um, you know, I was I was so obsessed with playing music and trying to be a musician. By the time I was 18, 19, 20, I was playing guitar and playing music. It, any gig I could take, playing guitar 12 hours a day, I was already obsessed. And I remember I had a really good heart to heart with my parents and they said, well, listen, if you want to be a, a real musician or a professional musician, you know, Wisconsin isn't the best place to try and reap those benefits. And I remember it was my mom. She literally said, you got to go to a bigger city and see what you see, because if you don't, you'll always wonder what would have happened. So I remember I saved all my pennies. I was doing landscaping, teaching guitar lessons, doing gigs. And I saved everything to move to Hollywood. And I landed in Hollywood. I was 21 years old. It was the end of 2010. And, uh, man, I was like the kid in the movie. Literally got off the bus. And it was like, welcome to Hollywood. And I was like, okay, where am I? Now what? How do I figure this out? You know? What did that support mean to you that you had with your parents? Oh, it was it was everything. You know, I... Uh, I couldn't have done any of this without them. And I'm not saying that from like a, a financial way, because once I got to LA, they said, all right, you can figure it out. But like, you know, it was one of those where, um, my parents, they were, they basically said, Hey, if you love doing it, you can do it. You know, we're not going to push you in any direction, but we will support you. And just to have them like kind of have my back and to assure me like, yeah, go, go do it, go try it. It was a really, uh, it was like a liberating feeling. And uh, I owe them so much to, you know, because I had a lot of friends that didn't have that kind of support. Their parents would think, oh, music, oh, it's bad. You know, like they'd associate music with all these other things. Whereas, thankfully, my folks, they would just said, you know what, Jared, if you want to go try it, you're the one that's got to do it. You know, we can't do it for you. No one else is going to do it. So sink or swim, dude. You know, it was a great, great uh, energy that I got from them. In those early days in LA, you know, you mentioned you played wherever you f could find a gig. What was that experience? I mean, you're, I mean, you don't live too much, you didn't grow up too much, you know, farther from where I'm, I live, 
across the border. Right. You know, going into that environment, I've been to California several times. I got family out there. You know, it really is tough to do. And and you you go in there and you're you know you got the you know the open big eyes and you're trying to figure it out. How was that? How were those those first days? You know, the the struggle that you had in order to get to a level where you needed to get to. Oh my gosh, it was it was so tough, man. You know, I didn't know anyone. I didn't, you know, a lot of people will go out there and say, oh, my uncle has a friend or this guy or this gal. I didn't have anybody that I knew in the industry or anything. And I remember the first few weeks of, of living in Hollywood, I would wake up at like 7 a.m., start playing guitar, you know, like just start looking around. And, you know, like in 2010, I, I had uh, um I had a computer, so I would go to like the library and I'd try and find where people were playing. I'd get like the, uh, you know, the LA Weekly to see if there was gigs. And then I remember, and I swear, I would just walk down Hollywood Boulevard and see if I could hear music. And I would wait and try and, you know, walk up and down the street and see if anyone was playing. It was that, uh, you know, I was that uh, guy. I was just like, man, I was, I was determined. I'd go hang out at the guitar stores. And that's truly where I got my first break was uh, about two months into living in Los Angeles. I saw a flyer for a a contest. It was called the Les Paul tribute. Uh, Basically you could send in a little demo tape of yourself playing and they were going to have a contest. 30, 30 uh, guitarists were going to fight for a brand new Gibson Les Paul, a featuring guitar player magazine, uh, a a year supply of strings. And I remember when I saw that, I said, okay, here's my chance. And I really, really put my head together and I sent in a tape. I got accepted. I went to the event as nervous and freaked out as I was, and I won it. And that was the first time I'd ever, you know, uh, I, I ever had anything like that. And all of a sudden it was like, I met some people. And that's all it took for me, man. The, the, the window opened up a little bit and I just lifted it up and went right through it. Have you always been a Gibson guy? Oh man. Well, in the beginning, to be honest, you know, like my first serious heroes besides like Jimmy Page and Tony Iommi, I love Stevie Ray and Hendrix. So, you know, in the beginning I was trying all different styles of guitars um, just because I didn't know. But, you know, growing up where, where I did grow up and loving the music like I did, man, the Les Paul, Gibson, Les Paul, that was to me like the perfect guitar. And I didn't really own a proper Les Paul until, you know, cause they were, they were so expensive at that point until I was probably 21. That's when I, I got my first real one. You leave California to go to Nashville. What was the, what was behind that decision to go to music city? Well, truly, you know, at that point I'd started touring a lot and living in California and Los Angeles was so expensive. It was to the point where, I wasn't even really there and I was paying for a place and at the, uh, my longtime girlfriend uh, who I'm married to now, Amanda, you know, she's from Wisconsin too. She would be there and it was just like, we were paying to have her stay there. And it was almost like, man, if I would love to be in an area that's a little more relaxed, it's not so crazy town. And of course, when I started to tour, I started to come through Nashville And I had a lot of friends here and I thought, man, this is a really, really cool vibe. This is a cool city and it's a lot cheaper and it's all about the music. So I started to get the the crazy eyes where I was like, we're going to Nashville. We're going to Nashville. And thankfully, um, we got everything together in September, early. Yeah. Early September of 2019, we made the move. When you, you, for people who don't realize Obviously, country music is big in Nashville, but there is a a legitimate rock scene, you know, with musicians and people that are down there. And, you know, the more artists I talk to that are from Nashville who have moved to Nashville, um, it's incredible. I mean, there is an incredible rock scene that exists there. It's not just honky-tonk and cowboy hats. Not at all. And, And you know what? I wouldn't have known until I got here. There is an awesome awesome rock and roll scene there's a killer like uh there's so much blues and jazz and like really everything is here and and when they say guitar town it's true because you know guitar is still like the heartbeat of the city and for me it was like really inspiring when i got here because 
you know, I was meeting all these rock and rollers, all these different bands to play with. And to be honest, living in Los Angeles, it was few and far between. You know, there was a lot of people there that would talk, oh, this or this or this. You know, in Nashville, people are playing shows every night. People are working in the studios. And it's just a really awesome, awesome energy that I wasn't used to in California. In Cali, it was like everyone was trying to uh, to get up on their own. Here in Nashville, it's like there's so much collaboration, whether you're writing songs or you're doing recording sessions. It's a really, really healthy, you know, competitive edge here that, that I love. I've heard that. I've heard that it is competitive, but it's not as cutthroat as L.A. And there's not a lot of BS, like you mentioned, you know, in, yep. in Nashville. It's all, you know, how people can help you play on this record, write this tune with you. You can play on this record. It's very collaborative. And it's interesting because a lot of the younger bands that I've talked to, they found each other in Nashville because they were backing up country artists. There's a lot of musicians in in bands that you see on stage playing country that are all rock and rollers in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool part about Nashville, and, and maybe this is me just being more competitive than I should, when people say, oh, I'm a player, or I do this, or I do that, it's not one of those things where they can just say it. It's like, you got to be able to back it up here. So it's kind of a really healthy competition where it's like, I can go out and I can watch this band. And it's like, you know, you can meet players that are in the same vein and the same caliber. And, and it's just a really cool thing because what I found in Los Angeles, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and um, that's okay. If if that's the way you want to roll. But, but in, in Nashville, it's almost like, no, you got to be able to play. And you got to be cool because it's it's not the biggest town. So you know, um, you you just gotta you gotta be a good person. You gotta be able to play your butt off. It's awesome. When you look at the differences between touring overseas and in the U.S., obviously, or from what I see, I should say, is the audiences in the U.K. and Europe are a lot more accepting of of new rock than the audiences. Are here in the U.S. What do you What do you say to that? What do you What are your feelings on that? I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, the biggest thing I notice in the U.K. and in um, mainland Europe, there's still a serious appreciation for American music. There's still a serious appreciation for guitar-based music, rock and roll, blues. Um, I'll never forget the first time that we went to Europe, we, we got booked on this kind of like, uh, it was like an all inclusive tour. Basically it was, you got the band, you got the driver, you got the gear, you got the shows, but I'll never forget the first night there. We were in Belgium. Now I'd never been to Belgium. No one in Belgium knew who I was, but they were hanging my posters at the venue. The first night we were there, there was 150 people and they were there just there because they loved that style of music and they were genuinely intrigued. And Going to your point, you know, like they're so accepting of new rock and they're so like fostering and um, they nurture it there. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. You know, a band can go over to the UK, over to Europe, whether they're in Germany or Spain or France, and they can get hope. They can feel as if they have a validation, you know, not only at, about the music that they love, but they could genuinely, you know, get some fans there and get some people really interested. And I remember that was the wind underneath my wings for sure. From 2015, 2016, 2017, we would go over to Europe and it was like, every time we were there, it was an adventure and more people would come, more people would come. And it was just such a cool energy because, you know, in the States, it's easy to get kind of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like uh, you get tunnel vision. And you're like, oh, this is this, this is everything's like this. But in Europe and in the UK, they have a completely different kind of mindset behind it, and it's it's very refreshing. What do you think causes that? I mean, you know, the the rock scene in the UK and Europe is you know is great, you know, with the, with the emerging bands, as is the US. There's so many great new bands. I mean, you know, I, I consider. I mean, obviously, you've been around for a bit, but I still think you know you're you know, part of that newer breed and Georgia Thunderbolts who you were touring with is definitely there too as well. There's so many other kick-ass young bands, but for whatever reason, it's, it's not 
because it's not flourishing like it does maybe in the UK and other parts of the world. What, why do you think that is? I think there's a, there's a few reasons. First off, I think that especially in America, when it comes to the digestion of music, it's different now. Um, what I noticed, you know, from traveling all over Europe and, and all over that area, um, there was more of a, and I know this might sound really snobby, there's like an appreciation of not only the music, but of art in general. There's more of an appreciation still that people were, they would high, highly regard music and bands that would come from America. You know, it was special. It felt special. Um, for them, it's, it's, it's more than just, oh yeah, just some, some rock and roll, blah, blah, blah. Like I feel like here. Um, in America, I feel like either you're up or you're down. There's no other way about it. You know, you can, you can be on the come up, you can be really big or you can be on your come down. And it's like in overseas, it's not really like that. You know, I've, I've toured over there with everyone from, you know, Zach Wilde, Black Label Society, Leonard Skinner, Blue Oyster Cult. I mean, tons of bands that I've toured over there with and what, what, whatever stage of their career that they've been in, the fans are genuinely thrilled and they're ecstatic about it. And in America, I feel like it's very almost judgmental in a way that, you know, it's like, it, it, it just is so flavor of the week. And over there you can, you can see longevity and you can see, you, know, you can build lifelong fans. I don't know if that's like more of uh, off of, you know, social media. I don't know why it's like that here, but I feel like um, music especially rock music. I, I think music in general is so much more disposable in America that it's just like onto the next, onto the next, which is very hard and disheartening for, for younger artists or, you know, younger bands, especially bands that haven't been over to Europe. They don't even realize that there still is parts of the world where people truly um, appreciate and love this art form. I think it has a lot to do with, how a young kid is exposed to music. When I was younger, you know, I had my older brother that brought in a lot of music that I discovered. And I think a lot of friends of mine were, you know, had the same experience. They had an older sibling that would bring in rock music into the house. But if you didn't have that, you still had a music appreciation class in your, in mm -hmm. your school. And, and you were taught how a real instrument is played. And also, the work that goes into becoming good. I mean, you can't just pick up an instrument and after a few plays like a video game, you're you're all set. I mean, you've got to work, whether it's guitar, trumpet, piano, drums, whatever. You've got to work at that. You've got to continue to practice. You've got to have the work ethic to do it. And I think when that goes away, if you don't have someone in your house, you don't respect the work. You don't respect the music. And that's why I think so much stuff has gone digital and the popularity of digital music with, you know, you hear pop music and sampled beats and sampled stuff is because they don't know how music used to be created with real instruments. They think that this is normal. I mean, when you ask a younger kid about sampled music, they considered sampled music an instrument. And I guess you could in a weird sort of way, but those samples exist because of a real instrument playing that riff or drum beat or whatever. Absolutely. And yeah, it like yet again, it goes to the point, like you said, where it's like learning how to play an instrument and, and understanding the time that goes into that. Some nights, man, I, I literally, I'll joke around with my bandmates and, you know, we'll, we'll be in Europe and there will be people there, you know, whether we're wherever we are and they will be, looking at me and they're going, Oh my, you know, they want to like touch my hands. When we went to Japan, people were trying to like touch my hands. And I know that sounds so funny. Uh, cause then we, I could play, you know, anywhere in America and I could play the best thing I've ever played. And I think a lot of people would kind of just go, Oh yeah, that's how, yeah, that's cool. All right. What's next? It's, it's the appreciation, like you said, and just kind of the upbringing, especially as of late that, that has really changed that for us. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how, because I have a 16-year-old kid that I talk a lot about on this show, and I still remember the moment I had to make a decision when he got in the car and he starts singing 
Poker Face by Lady Gaga. And I, <laughs> and I turn around and go, hey, what are you singing? He was like three or four. He goes, oh, I'm singing Poker Face by, by Lady Gaga. And I turned around and I go, well, I have to begin my work now. I have to raise Here him correctly, go. you know? And then I, I didn't like sit him down and say, you must listen to this. But I just had rock music playing in the car and in the house. So he was always listening to it. To his, you know, when he got older, I, mean, I think I took him to his first concert when he was five. I took him to see Butch Walker in Kentucky. And, wow. you know, and I've, I've taken him so many shows, but, you know, it kept building every year and every year. And now he's playing guitar and all that stuff. But it wasn't like, you know, you must listen to this. It was just casually just, hey, this is, you know, we're, we're in the car, we're driving somewhere and we got Van Halen on or we got Ozzy Osbourne on or whatever it was. And like I said to you earlier, you know, if someone's not exposing a kid today to that, they think that the music they hear, that pop music, you know, they think that that's real music. That's really, you know, and it's pretty much artificial in most cases. Absolutely. And also, you know, the, the technology behind it now and the way that um, so much music is created. And I don't want to be that guy that's sitting here going, oh, everything's easy and technology took over. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things where when someone listens to Shadow Dancer and you say, yeah, this is three musicians in a room all playing and communicating with each other over this song on their instruments, you know, in the moment. I don't know if that really means much if, if you can go on a computer and you could sample or create um, a, a track, you know, in 10 minutes. If, if, you know, if many would even be able to tell the difference, uh, not artistically, but just in general, or if they care. So it's a really weird thing, man. You know, it's a, it's a really weird thing. And it's hard too, because a lot of people now will associate rock and roll and they'll associate guitar or, or anything, you know, all this stuff that we're preaching about and we love, they'll associate it with older generations. And then you're just like on a slippery slope where it's, where it's like, well, it's not even about what generation, it's still about what it takes to, to make that music and, and, you know, especially to play an instrument. So it's weird, man. I must say. What are your plans? Uh, I mean, after you heal up, I mean, you got to finish the tour or are you going to be back on the Blackstone Cherry Show? What, what's next for you? Well, I'll tell you what. Next plans, um, I'm, I'm going to heal up. Uh, I got some like one-off shows. We're doing uh, some really uh, some fun stuff. I'm, I'm doing a, a, a show for one of my really good friends, Chris Jericho, the wrestler. It's his birthday, so I'm going to play at his birthday party. Uh, we're doing some fun one-off stuff. And then we're just kind of gearing up. Our, our eyes are honestly set um, late January and above. We're going to obviously honor those dates uh, of my, my headline shows. I would obviously love to go back out. We're in talks with Blackstone Cherry and, and a few other acts about getting back on the road early 22. Um, basically, next year, we, my mission is to be on the road as much as possible. You know, the arm thing, it's a little hiccup in the road, but it'll be fine. And, and thankfully, truly, it's over kind of the holiday season. I'll be able to mend and, and rebound off this. But 22, release that record and really just keep pushing. And, and man, I just want to get back on the road and travel. And I really hope that I can start to make it back overseas. Um, we had Australia on the books. Hopefully, you know, we'll be able, uh, everything permitting to get over there. I just want to keep traveling. How about more music? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we, uh, we've already are in talks about, you know, production and everything for a full length. So we, we got, let's put it this way. We got such a good response for, uh, the shadow dancer EP that we're pushing for, um, a full length in the same attitude. So I'm pumped. That's awesome, man. I look forward to it. Well, Jared, thank you very much for doing the hook rocks. I appreciate it. Of course. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. And, and listen, I can't wait till, uh, Either I come back to Braidwood. I, I want to get back out with the Thunderbolts. We can do a bunch of stuff. And hopefully we will be in your area and we can actually meet. That'd be awesome. That would be great, man. I know I my 16-year-old son and two of his friends were coming with me, so I know they're stoked to see you too as well. Oh, man. It'll be here before we know it. And I appreciate you taking the time, man. And, yeah, all the best. All right, everybody. That's Jared James Nichols. You can catch his 
new EP out now. It's called Shadow Dancer, and it is available on all streaming services. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. We'll talk again soon. Take care of each other. Coming down till I'm bled. I'm your bag of bones. You left for dead. Hung on every word you said. I hung on every word you said. Great trains coming in. Only one way that this would end. Threw me to the wolves again. You threw me to the wolves again. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.